Hello and welcome into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports, collegiate, high school, professional, and all of the above. So if you're anything you're looking for, make sure to head down to MileHighSports.com. All right, so the Nuggets just got done losing to the Philadelphia 76ers. It was their very first loss when giving up or when holding a team to under 100 points, but 97 to 92 loss for the Denver Nuggets tonight. And there's a lot to take away from this game. And it really comes down to what happened on the court as well as what happened afterwards in the post-game commentary that came out. Um, I got to give love to Mike Singer of the Denver Post, who has been doing a consistently great job, and Brendan Vogt of DNVR. You guys know Brendan Vogt as a uh, good friend of this podcast and a good friend of mine, but the work that he did in this after this game, getting quotes from Michael Porter Jr. talking to Wilt Barton about it, really being willing to speak to Michael Malone and have a good conversation about Michael Porter Jr. as well. There was a lot of revealing commentary after the game and some stuff that I definitely want to get into and look at individually because I think these are some very important looming narratives that are going to become very important as things move ahead. So we're going to talk about the game itself. Um, we're going to talk about those, you know, not issues, but just development that happened after the game. I'm going to answer some questions for a mailbag, as I always do, and then we will look ahead to what is next for this Denver Nuggets team coming off of this four-game road trip in which they went 1-3. and three. The Nuggets now have three straight losses. It's their first three-game losing streak of the year. They've lost five of their last six games. They're 1-3 and three on the four-game road trip. Uh, only win against the, Nick, the Knicks in New York, which was just a pounding of a terrible, terrible, terrible Knicks team. Um, and still, the Nuggets' offense is nowhere really to be found. The defense has remained strong. It just isn't leading to wins. And there's just a whole lot of dysfunction and confusion that we need to get into. So we're going to do that in this podcast. Podcast, try and provide some clarity from what was a very confusing road trip. Um, I did spend some time out there for the Knicks and for the Nets game, but I was not there for Philly, so I'm kind of living vicariously through Brendan Vote right now, trying to do the best that I can to get a good idea as to what is going on. So thankfully for his reporting and Mike Singer's reporting of the Denver Post, we have a good idea. So we're going to dive into all of those things and then some more stuff, um, as well as like Will Barton's big game tonight, how I felt about Nikola Jokic's game, and things like that but before we do all that I gotta give some love to some people first off Roman you're gonna hear more about them coming up but they are a big supporter of the Blue Wire podcast network as a whole so when you hear me give that read listen closely and try and use their product they are very very good for what they do uh, same goes for Terrapin Care Station for all of your cannabis goods in the in the Denver metro area and the Regulators Production Group the people who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast without the Regulators Production Group this podcast sounds much worse so make sure to go reach out to them at Regulators Regime on Instagram for any of your audio production needs. We're going to take our first quick break. I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about this Nuggets loss, their third straight loss of the year to drop them to 14-8. and eight. Talking 
about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves by saying things like I lost my mojo or we just avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry honey I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It is simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Plus, the whole process is straightforward, simple, and again, discreet. Getting started is very simple. Just go to roman.com slash blue wire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to getroman.com slash blue wire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash blue wire for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash blue wire. Before we get into the game itself, we got to at least talk about the injury updates or lack thereof when it comes to Jamal Murray and Paul Millsap. So after the game, well, first of all, after the first five minutes, Jamal Murray took a shot from Ben Simmons and it seemed that his back or hip or something was hurting him and they ended up calling it a trunk contusion and they said that Jamal Murray might be able to return. They never fully ruled him out until late in the fourth quarter because they were trying to find padding that would allow him to deal with the pain that came from the injury to be able to go back out there. After the game, Michael Malone said it's not serious. Um, it seems like if this was like a playoff game kind of situation, Jamal Murray probably could have found a way back onto the court. But being that road games, the very end of a East Coast four-game road trip against an Eastern Conference team is about the least impactful loss you can have in the NBA nowadays. For, the, for this Nuggets team, there wasn't really a deep desire to get Jamal Murray back into this game. So Malone did say he only spoke, spoke to him briefly. He had an x-ray. It came back negative, um, and it looks like he's going to be okay. Um, I don't know if he'll, if he'll be back next game. There was no update on his timetable, but it does seem like overwhelming positive thought processes when it comes to Jamal Murray's contusion, trunk contusion, whatever the hell that means. Um, it's just kind of your whole like hip, hips, lower back, lower stomach area is kind of the trunk of your body. So that's the idea behind that. Um, apparently, Paul Millsap rolled his ankle a little bit at the end of the game. Michael Malone said he, that he is also looking like he is going to be fine as well. So overall, the injury concerns seem minimal for a Nuggets team that has only missed two games to injury all season long when not including Bull Bull. So very, very good injury luck for this Nuggets this year, but it has not really led to wins in the way that you would have expected so far. Um, but I digress. That's just the injury update. I'm moving on. I want to talk about the Nuggets offense next. Um, it was a very intriguing game from an offensive perspective because, well, on one hand, when you see 92 points for this Nuggets team, the easiest thing to do is immediately be like, what the fuck is going on with this Nuggets offense? How could this Nuggets team put up only 92 points in the game? But when you look at the box score, 
the picture becomes a bit more blurry. Because if you're watching the game, I would say there were a few moments for, throughout the game, and like especially in the third quarter, where you're like, okay, there's the Nuggets offense that I have been that I remembered from years past. You can see flashes of them returning to their original form, even though it is taking quite a bit of time to get there. So that was interesting. So what was the fallout? What did lead to the Nuggets' offensive struggles in this game? Well, when you break it down by starters and bench, the picture becomes much more clear. The Nuggets' starters in this game were actually very, very good. They shot like 49% from the field. They were 26 of 53. They scored 65 of the Nuggets' 92 points in this game. They had 23 assists on their 26 made uh, 26 made field goals and only 6 turnovers in this game despite playing the majority majority of these minutes and that's not, and that's while including Jamal Murray's 5 minutes as a starter. So that's essentially four starters were able to accumulate those types of numbers. So offensively speaking, there's nothing wrong with what the Nuggets starters did tonight. They weren't perfect. They weren't as crisp, as crisp as they've ever been. They weren't as locked in and dominant as they could be, but that's a very serviceable offensive unit that had no problem scoring against a very 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 good Philadelphia 76ers defense. Where things fell off was the Nuggets bench unit, which included 31 minutes of Monte Morris, where they actually had more run than they normally would have had in a game. The Nuggets bench only had 27 points, shot 11 of 32 from the field, and had 7 turnovers against 6 assists. That right there is where the Nuggets offense really fell apart in my mind, was just specifically and purely their bench. The starters I thought were relatively good tonight. Will Barton, aside from just being able to cook by himself, there was more going on there. Will Barton as a creator was very strong tonight. Nikola Jokic kept the ball moving and had glimpses of the Jokic. Jokic ball that so many people talk about and have been looking for from this Nuggets team for quite a bit of time now. Um, I thought that Gary Harris had a lot more positive moments in this game than he has had in games prior. You see Paul Millsap still finding his way to impact the game in small areas and not be too assertive on the offense. I really felt like the Nuggets starters were very, very strong in this game. But the likes of Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee was really, really rough in this game. He ended up playing 14 minutes in this game, or 15 minutes, two points, four rebounds, one assist, two steals. But he had four turnovers in this game, shot one of three from the field, and was a minus 13. Jeremy Grant, minus 16 in this game. Three points, one rebound, three assists, two steals, two blocks, but one of six shooting from the field, and just not the same kind of player that they needed him to be. Malik Beasley was getting torched defensively, only shot two of five from the field, um, and was one of three from three. So it wasn't like he had an awful game, but wasn't able to impact it enough. Michael Porter Jr. had six points and six rebounds, but had some very glaring, obvious mistakes, whether it was defensively or where to be offensively in this game, was two of seven from the field. Um, I'll have more conversations and words about Michael Porter Jr.'s game, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it right now. I will talk more about his post-game comments and how I feel about his role moving forward in this podcast going forward, um, but I'm going to talk more about his play in the article I'm going to write tonight, so we're not going to get too far into that, and then Monte Morris played 31 minutes, 7 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks, 3 of 9 from the floor, so he wasn't bad by any means, he was only a minus 1, he was actually pretty good 
it was the rest of the bench that was not able to function at a high level at really any point in this game. So when you when you have Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez all struggling in this game, how are you supposed to be able to have a congruent offense for 48 minutes? It was the Nuggets starters against the entire 76ers roster, and the Nuggets lost that battle. That's really what it came down to offensively in my mind. Still, though, even for how good the numbers look for the Nugget starters, they're not quite generating the correct shot still. They're attacking the rim more. Again, this is they have taken slight steps forward, but they're still taking too many floaters. Gary Harris had a couple good drives to the rim and a couple just blatantly obvious moments in which he should have continually attacked the rim but pulled up for a floater instead. Um, they are still lacking free throws. Only took 12 free throws in this game. They hit 11 of them, but I don't really care. They're not getting out in transition. Transition, only nine fast break points. So even though they were getting stops, holding the 76ers team to under 100 points, they weren't able to run off of those stops and they were outscored by 10 in fast break points. And the three point shot is not where it needs to be, not only in terms of how much they make, but in how many they're taking. They only took 27 threes in this game and they passed up a couple open ones and only hitting seven. They're going to be up and down. That has been the Nuggets reality for a year and a half now. But when you're only hitting 7 and only taking 27, that's not enough when you're not getting out in transition, when you're not able to get to the rim, and you're not getting to the free throw line. You need more than that if you're not going to be able to hit threes. So until Denver's bench is at least passable, they're just going to be an anchor that is dragging down this Nuggets offense as an entire unit, and they got to find a way to remedy that, that circumstance. I don't know what it's going to take. I really don't. But right now, it's not working. Um, I think one of the reasons that it's not working, and this is a very important thing that I want to talk about is that there's no real rotation right now for the Nuggets bench units, particularly with their wing rotation. Uh, Monte Morris, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumlee know their role. They know when they're coming in. It is what it is with those guys. It's not a big deal. But when you talk about Torrey Craig, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Michael Porter Jr., and um, and Wancho Hernan, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm missing one there. And um, so, yeah, Wancho, Torrey Craig, Michael Porter Jr., and Malik Beasley. We talk about those four guys. There is absolutely no consistency. And I'll talk about the, the quotes and the thought processes that Michael Porter Jr. had on that in a little bit. So I don't want to talk about those comments yet, but think of it this way. There were moments in this game. There was, okay, so at the end of the third quarter, I think it was like 11 minutes or like 10 minutes and 50 seconds left in this, or there was like a minute and a half left in the third quarter and Michael Malone had Malik Beasley and Torrey Craig in the game. And then he inserted Wancho Hernan Gomez for one random minute for reasons that I can't quite figure out. Took him immediately back out, got Michael Porter Jr. back into the game with uh, w- with Torrey Craig and he had managed to play or with Malik Beasley and he had managed to play all four of those guys within 70 seconds of each other. How as one of those players are you supposed to have any idea of what you're supposed to bring to this team, what your role is, when you're going to be able to play, when Malone is literally just taking shots in the dark about what his rotations are going to be for his reserves. They really don't have any consistency, which is what led to Michael Porter Jr. speaking out after the game, but 
that is going to hurt this bench unit. When your two and your three on the reserves are just completely random seemingly every time you play, and there's not enough communication to know what you're getting into, how are you supposed to develop a rhythm? The other part of this is that the Nuggets starting unit is playing more minutes than any other starting unit in basketball, so they're not getting enough time to gel together. Jeremy Grant also has not been very good this year. Malik Beasley has been very, very rough and very inconsistent. Wancho Hernan Gomez has not been able to add anything. Michael Porter Jr. has been raw. Torrey Craig has been inconsistent at best. So there just isn't enough rhythm for any one player or any guys as a group. There are so many issues with this bench unit right now. And until shots fall and guys start to find a rhythm, it's going to continue being this way for quite a while. All right. I want to talk about something positive right now because Will Barton was fucking awesome tonight in every single way that I can think of. Um, Let's just go by a category. Why not? Because it's easier to do it that way. In terms of scoring, Will Barton had 15 points in the first quarter and 26 in the game. He was scoring from three. He had two of his seven threes, which doesn't sound great, but the Nuggets, like I said before, they need willing three-point shooters, and Will Barton is at least willing to space the floor, even if the shot doesn't fall. So taking seven threes is actually a positive, even though he only had two of them. He was able to score or hit four of his six shots at the rim in this game. He was four of five from the mid-range. And he was four of five from the free throw line, which led the Nuggets team. He had five of their, what, 12 free throws tonight as uh, on his own. Um, in terms of one-on-one scoring, he was just torching mismatches and absolutely abused Tobias Harris in that first quarter. He was able to get off the ball and let Monte Morris and Nikola Jokic um, orchestrate the offense and slide into an off-ball scoring role. So as a scorer, he literally did everything in this game. He scored from all three levels, on-ball, off-ball, transition, and the half court he did everything in this game as a scorer but it didn't even stop there anywhere near there he had seven assists against two turnovers in this game with some just absolutely incredible reads late in pick and rolls so he'll run a pick and roll he'll be driving to the rim with intent with assertiveness draw a second defender and make these wrap around and dump off passes for just easy dunks and layups seemingly over and over and over again his ability and feel in the pick and roll right now is just out of this world and the other thing that I I found so encouraging about this game is that him and Nikola Jokic are getting back to their chemistry from a few user from a few years ago. When I say that, that might sound a little bit foreign because it's hard to remember, but Gary Harris was not the first Nuggets player to figure out Nikola Jokic. Will Barton was the first player to figure out Nikola Jokic as an offensive player. Gary Harris took it to a different level. He was the one who was able to take what Will Barton had built as a foundation and build something even greater upon it, but it started with Will Barton, and to see that chemistry returning between the two of them has been very encouraging to see in my opinion. Um, as a rebounder, again, he continues to rebound like a monster. He had seven rebounds in this game, including a big one over Joel Embiid late in the game. Um, some very, very good defense overall as well. He continues to impact the team in such a positive manner. If you go look up 
his impact stats and how it relates to every player on the team. Every single player on the Nuggets roster other than Jeremy Grant has a positive net rating with uh, Will Barton III on the floor. The only um, player who has a, who has a defensive rating with uh, Will Barton over 100 is Michael Porter Jr. Every other player he has played with is posting a defensive rating under 100 with him on the floor with them. Um, when Will Barton is not on the floor, the Nuggets have a minus 7 net rating, a 99.4 offensive rating and a 106.4 defensive rating if you take players who only play who play at least 25 minutes a game and have played at least 10 games he's fifth in the entire league in individual defensive rating we're at the point right now where there is a very real argument that Will Barton has been the best player on the floor for the Denver Nuggets this year. He's been their most consistent creator, being that Nikola Jokic was more disinterested in the beginning of the year. He's been their most consistent scorer, in my opinion, and that's not really arguable, in my opinion. Um, second or third most consistent defender, depending on how you view, view Gary Harris, but he's right there with Gary Harris and Paul Millsap in terms of their defensive impact. He's been a leader for the team on and off the floor, and he's been willing to do whatever it takes to fill in the gaps for this Nuggets team to make them the best version of themselves. Will Barton has been absolutely spectacular for this Nuggets team, and it needs to be taken more into account, in my opinion. I really feel like what he has been able to do has been very, very impressive this season, and he's really revolutionized his game to be able to be the best version of himself for the Denver Nuggets, and that is about as impressive of a feat as I can remember for a player like Will Barton, who was already in the middle of his career, to shift his game this much to be able to help his team. It is just endlessly impressive to me, and it deserves so much more credit than it is currently getting. All right, I'm going to take my second break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the post-game comments from Michael Porter Jr., as well as Nikola Jokic in a smaller capacity. We'll answer some questions from listeners, and we will look at what is coming ahead for this Denver Nuggets team. patients and customers with high quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one -on -one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is TerrapinCareStation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, CareStation.com. It's what happened off the floor when Michael Porter Jr. spoke to two reporters, I believe. It may have been more than that in the scrum, but I know for a fact it was Brendan Vogt and Mike Singer in the scrum, really asking him the hard-hitting questions that were really important. And I really, really think 
that this is something that is going to become notable because the the frustration is clear and maybe or not maybe it's not him being actively angry with anybody but the fact is Michael Porter Jr does not feel like he has a good understanding of what his role is and that is hurting his overall play so I'm going to let me pull up these quotes real quick because I find them extremely important to take them exactly for what they said. I do not want to take this out of context. So let me get back. Um, by the way, this is courtesy of Brendan Vote on DNVR.com. Um, this man has done a hell of a job and I'm very just all credit to a good friend of mine who's done a hell of a job. Um, so as I scroll through his Twitter page and fill time trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to talk about. Here it is. Okay. So, Brendan Vogt asked Michael Porter Jr. tonight if it's tough to stay in rhythm given the lack of, in, of of consistent minutes. This is what he said. I need to talk to coach again. I think we are more mentally prepared when we know what we are coming in and what, and what he's thinking for certain games. I think we can be more mentally prepared for our minutes. Then, I believe it was Mike Singer. I'm sorry if it wasn't. One reporter after that um, was basically asked him after that, if um, if these things are being communicated to him by Michael Malone, when he's getting his minutes, when he's not getting his minutes, what his role is. And apparently he said, nah, and then laughed. Brendan Vogt then asked him if it's getting harder to keep a smile on his face as the gear goes on. And he still and he was positive in this regard. He said, honestly, man, waking up every day and just being thankful to play. Yeah, it's tough, but at the end of the day, I'm playing basketball, and I know it will come. I, it will come, man, so I just have to stay focused, just keep getting better every day. Games like these, you just have to leave them in the past and keep looking forward. We'll get the next one. When you hear that, when you hear those thoughts... First of all, he's entirely fair to feel this way. To say it is an entirely different thing because when you tell the media that Michael Malone is not telling you what your role is and that you're frustrated with that and you feel like you need to have a conversation with him, it immediately becomes a divisive topic. It becomes a Michael Malone versus Michael Porter Jr. topic or a narrative, even if behind closed doors, that's not even the case. The narrative itself takes over in the social media world because it is a divisive comment when you just read it. Michael Porter Jr. is a very thoughtful kid. He's somebody who does respect Michael Malone, and he is just looking for more clarity. He should have had this conversation behind closed doors, but now the cat's out of the back. Now he has already said what he has said, and there are going to be repercussions to these actions. You cannot put your coach in the crosshair because you are frustrated with your role. Yes, that may happen from time to time, but you have to keep those things in-house. I go back to Tristan Thompson talking about Coach Bayline and how some of the vets have been basically, um, how they spoke to a reporter about his college coaching style and things like that, and he basically called him out. He was like, I don't want guys in my family talking to the media before coming and talking to the family about these things and I think that's exactly the kind of takeaway that needs to happen from this exact moment Michael Porter Jr. should have spoken to Malone this should not have been vocalized to the media and listen there are players who use the media to their benefit I am never going to tell a player how to go about things it is entirely
entirely in Michael Porter Jr.'s right to speak about things this way, and he is beyond justified to feel this way, but there are going to be repercussions for those actions. Michael Malone is going to be under the crosshairs now more than he has been before. He has now made it seem divisive to the media to where there could be conversations now and questions asked about Michael Porter Jr. said this, how do you respond to that, which can create some animosity, and those are all negative things that do not need to exist for a Nuggets team that is already dealing with too much dysfunction as it currently stands. So, again, he is entirely justified to feel the way he feels. Like, Malone has said that he wants to play Michael Porter Jr. more. There was all these reports before the game that he was going to play regular minutes. And while that was never a confirmed statement, a player, when you don't communicate with him, is going to feel that way. Mike Singer of the Denver Post had reported that assistant coaches had told him to be ready tonight, and that Michael Malone had said that he thinks about it every day, about how to get him involved. And then when you play him in a first half stint, a regular stint with a regular rotation without doing anything crazy, and then at the end of the third quarter, you play all four of your wings instead of him and you put him in last, that's going to lead to frustration. So that was a very, very interesting conversation in my opinion, and I think this is going to lead to Michael Porter Jr. having to learn how to vocalize these frustrations in a productive manner in terms of going to Michael Malone and having a conversation and coming to an understanding about what each person in each party needs from the other as opposed to making it this divisive topic in the media so I found that just hyper interesting it's something that is going to be talked about for quite a while going forward I do think that this probably hurts his chances of having a bigger role going forward immediately Um, I don't think it hurts his chances for like the next throughout the rest of the season but I do think in the immediate future this could potentially have negative repercussions on his playing time because he did go about this wrong and he didn't have a great game to back it up so again this could be nothing it could be something but it was noteworthy tonight and it was something that I feel like needed to be discussed and something that I found very very interesting my only, I only want to briefly touch on Nikola Jokic's comments because I don't want to hit this too hard um because I I need more information before I can really make real big thoughts about it but um, basically, Michael Malone post game said that he needs to get Nikola Jokic more shots, and Nikola Jokic disagreed. Uh, he chopped this up to just not having Jamal on the floor. Then, when he was asked about what the Nuggets missed without Jamal on the floor, this is what he said: "He's our starting point guard. He's our captain out there. He's our leader. So we missed him, and you could tell, and you could feel that we were missing him out there. Nikola Jokic needs to be the leader. He needs to be the captain." Full stop. This Nuggets team is only going as far as Nikola Jokic is going to take them. So the fact that I'm reading these quotes and I'm like, Nikola Jokic is actively giving away the leadership of this team to Jamal Murray after he was hurt in a game that he only played five minutes. Like, that's not good. That has to be Nikola Jokic. It may not be who he is, but Nikola Jokic needs to understand that every player and coach in that locker room, including Jamal Murray, knows that Nikola Jokic is going to take them as far as they can take them, not Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is a great player. He is not Nikola Jokic, and they are only going to go as far as he goes. So until he realizes that, it's going to be dysfunction with this team. Now, also, if 
Nikola Jokic is giving up all of this leadership and captain and things like that to Jamal Murray, that upsets the hierarchy. Everybody knew that it was Nikola Jokic's team last year. There was no conversation around that. It was Nikola Jokic's team and of the statement. That was it. Now, the conversation every single day, it seems like, is, is Nikola Jokic giving up way too much power to Jamal Murray to where there is not a clear number one, number two anymore, and it leads to issues at end of games like they have been dealing with recently? I have to feel like that is a part of these issues. I Again, I don't have enough data or information yet to fully grasp it and to fully make a, you know, formulated take about this but it does feel like we are leading that direction so i i found that very interesting as well uh let's move on to some questions that listeners sent in i picked five um i have like 50 questions people sent in so guys seriously thank you so much there were so many good questions in there so much so that tomorrow uh, at some point tomorrow on a wednesday december 11th i am going to take time and I am going to write a big mailbag piece for some questions that I find more important so I can go more in-depth with those questions. And then I'm going to do a mailbag podcast as well tomorrow at some point as well. And I want to do a uh, closer look at the next 10 games. I'm going to briefly hit it coming up here in a little bit. But I'm going to take a deeper look at the next 10 games, give a G League update, and answer a whole lot of questions from listeners as well. So if you've sent in questions from the past two games, I'm probably going to be able to answer close to 20 questions. Questions, if not more, by the time that this podcast is done, the article is done, and the next podcast is done. So, thank you guys again for sending in so many good questions that I have to find a way to include them into all these things that I'm doing. So, let's dive in. Asil um, Ahmad, I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. I believe I got close, but I might have been really off too. Um, he asked, despite the loss, do you think Denver is moving in the right direction again? This game did feel like they were moving in the right direction in small ways. Yes, I, I think so. Nikola Jokic, I thought, looked good in this game. Yes, he could have shot more. This was probably a B-, minus, maybe a B game for him. But overall, there was nothing that I thought Nikola Jokic did that was revoltingly bad. In the first quarter, Will Barton was just a flaming inferno of nuclear energy. So Nikola Jokic was just diming him up. In the second quarter, at the end of the half, he started getting more assertive and was able to impact the game a, a little bit more. Then the third quarter he really turned it on and the fourth quarter at the end he was able to help out his team so I thought Nikola Jokic played well I thought that the Nuggets starting unit had moments of Jokic ball which was very encouraging Denver's defense was strong once again Will Barton was great they did all of this without Jamal Murray and on the very end of a four game uh, four game East Coast road trip against a very very talented 76ers team that was undefeated at home so the the scope of this game has been much more negative than I think it actually is intended to. I think that the Nuggets overall, this actually wasn't that bad of a loss, and I'll talk about that a little bit more coming up. But no, I think that the Nuggets did take some steps in the right direction tonight. Uh, Steely Dan's nephew asks, It was a tough road trip, and they still aren't playing their best ball, but am I wrong with being okay with this loss? So, there's never a loss to be okay with, but there are better losses than others. So, the way that I look at this is that it was a very tough road trip in which they were 1-3 by the end of it. They still aren't playing their best basketball, but they're getting better. Um... Uh, it was their fourth game in six nights. They were without Jamal Murray for all but five minutes. And the Nuggets offense still isn't quite there. The defense was still strong. And 
overall, okay, the, 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 let, me, let me phrase it this way. There's a lot of reasons that the Nuggets did a lot of good things. Whatever. I'm throwing that aside. I don't want to talk about the stats anymore. The basic of this is, is that East Coast road losses to good teams at the end of an East Coast road trip is about the least detrimental loss you can have because those are scheduled losses. This was a scheduled loss. When you are this tired without a star player and you are trying to take on a team that is undefeated at home and that dominant defensively, that is a game that the Nuggets should not have won anyway. So I don't think it was that bad of a loss. I really don't. Uh, Joe Daniel asks, why do the Nuggets miss so many shots at or near the rim and take so many floaters and fadeaways in the paint? This all comes down to a mindset thing for me. The Nuggets are not just trying to attack anymore. They're trying to be too finesse to find the soft spot on the floor, which leads to them fading and taking those those two-point shots in the paint that are fading away and extremely difficult or taking floaters. Instead of so that Malone used to always say they don't want to be reactive. They want to punch first. But the Nuggets taking all of these floaters is specifically only taking what the defense is giving them. The reason that all of these floaters are wide open is because every opposing defense wants the Nuggets to take those shots. There is a reason that Gary Harris is wide open at the top of the key to take a jumper seemingly every time he wants it. Because defenses are like, cool. That is something they will live with every single day. So the Nuggets need to change their perspective mentally, in my opinion, to get there. Uh, Sean Liu asks, can we afford losing these games by letting Michael Porter Jr. play? When it comes to this, this is this is really my only response. What the hell has Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, or Tory Craig given you that Michael Porter Jr. Is, isn't really going to be able to give you? I will live with his mistakes because there are so many other mistakes that the other players are dealing with that it kind of makes the learning curve not as steep at that point. It's not like Michael Porter Jr. going out there makes everything that much more chaotic because the players that have been playing instead of him have been adding that much chaos themselves. So for me, I don't really think it makes that much of a difference I think they need to unleash him and get him some real playing time because right now they're just kind of toying with him and it's making it extremely difficult to be able to get anywhere with his development so I think they just need to let him play uh Curtis Edge this is the last question by the way Curtis Edge asks why do you think Jokic who shoots a low percentage on catch and shoot threes should keep shooting them because the Nuggets don't make easy buckets anymore they are not able to create these open passing lanes going to the rim or be able to get cutters open anymore because every team can just sag off their three-point shooters because none of those shots are going in so the Nuggets can't just fold on three-point shooting they have to keep taking them the only way you're going to stretch a defense out again is if you can start hitting threes and if Jokic starts hitting threes you're going to pull the center the opposing center out of the paint which opens up so many more cutting lanes for Gary Harris Jamal Murray Will Barton Paul Millsap Michael Porter Jr. Monte Morris and players like that so he has to keep taking those shots all right, let's look at what they got next. The Nuggets are going to be heading home for a five-game homestand. They're going to be taking on Carmelo Anthony and the Portland Trailblazers. Then they're going to take on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then the Knicks again. Then the Magic. And then the Timberwolves. Then they have a quick two-game road trip on the West Coast against the Lakers and against the Suns before coming back home for three more home games against the Pelicans, against the Grizzlies, and against the Kings. The Nuggets could honestly go 9-1 in these games. 
Like they absolutely have the ability to go nine and one in these games. There's no reason that they ha- that they should lose at home to any of those teams. It could happen. It's the NBA. But again, on paper, if you just put you know team by team next to each other, the Nuggets are more talented than every team on that list. Not named the Lakers. So the Nuggets have a very real opportunity of going nine and one with eight of their next ten games at home. And this is important for one reason: the Nuggets' offense is out of fu- out of their own funk, and they're take on a terrible Blazers defense, a Oklahoma City defense, which is middling at best, a Knicks team that is an absolute disaster, a Magic team, which is pretty tough, but a team they can beat. So like, there's opportunities for the Nuggets offense to get going pretty quickly here. Adam Mades of DNVR framed it perfectly that this 10 game you know, eight games in 10 days stretch at home is an opportunity for the Nuggets to have their December 15th moment, which references when the Nuggets finally let Nikola Jokic start a few years ago on December 15th, and they had the best offense in basketball that year over the Warriors going forward. So I do think the Nuggets probably go something closer to seven and three as they continue to work through these kinks in their team. But overall, they should definitely come out on the other side with quite a few wins from this run. Uh, coming up next, I'm going to record another podcast Wednesday midday, Wednesday night sometime where I look ahead to the next 10 games a little bit more in depth because I think there's a lot of interesting takeaways from these games. Give a G League update on guys like PJ Dozier, Jared Vanderbilt, Vlako Chanchar, and Bull Bull, and then answer some questions that I couldn't get to in this podcast. So again, thank you guys so much for sending those questions. Thank you for all the five-star reviews. Thank you for all the ratings you sent in. Thank you for all the comments, all the sharing of this podcast podcast on social media, everybody who is reaching out and telling me that they're enjoying the show. Those things mean the world to me. So thank you for doing all of that. Thank you for helping this podcast be what it is. I am TJ McBride of Mile High Sports. This has been the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. It's part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and it has been brought to you by Roman Terrapin and the Regulators Production Group. We will talk to you guys later. <laughs>